You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Fox. So the same Thanks for downloading another episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. This is episode 198.1, and if you're a regular listener, you'll hear that decimal point, and even if you're a short-time listener, you'll hear that I am not David Grubbs, and you'll think, okay, something is off-sequence. Well, Michael <laughs> Farmer, being the honorable dude that he is, uh, agreed to step in and fill in for somebody's class this morning when we normally record, so... Uh, we're going to be doing a listener feedback episode, so I am Nathan Gilmore. I'm an associate professor of English at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia, and I'm joined this morning by David Grubbs. He's an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University. David, how are things? Pretty, pretty decent. Can't complain, shouldn't anyway. Right on, right on. We don't have a whole lot this morning, listeners, but uh, we do want to talk back to you since you were good enough to write to us on the email at thechristianhumanist at gmail.com, on the Facebook page, which is the Christian Humanist Podcast, and over at our blog, which is christianhumanist.org. We've got some material from all three sources this morning. Uh, so, David, why don't you fire it up and tell us what Tristan Sharp has to say? Sure. Greetings, Christian Humanists. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I, I always think that whenever we're in doing a feedback episode. <laughs> my my, my misspent mis youth listening to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> I came across your show when Matthew Block, a.k.a. Captain Thin, uh, mentioned you at First Things back in 2013. You helped me remember the outside world as I wrote the last chapter of my thesis. I've been listening to an episode to the episode on names as my wife and I trade ideas for our second child, who is due in December. We're seriously considering Cadman and Nathan. Sorry, Michael. My first name carries quite a bit of baggage, of course, and Sharp is open to endless jokes. People always assume that my parents love either Arthurian literature or opera. Remember, his name is Tristan. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to tell them that they just liked how it sounded. My name turned out to be strangely appropriate, since I am now a medieval historian, but Michael will be glad to hear that I don't like romances. Aw, <laughs> I like romances, though. <laughs> ain't, ain't nothing wrong with a good romance. <laughs> uh, one aspect of names that you did not discuss is their often frustrating role in modern bureaucracy. When my wife changed her name after our marriage, the California Election Commission, or whatever it's called, misspelled her name... Hutton Sharp as Mutton Shard. <laughs> and although she got her own registration, I believe that Mutton Shard is still a registered voter. I love this story, by the way. I, when I read it, I, it, it, it amused me a great deal. I'm trying to imagine what a shard of mutton would look like. It's, <laughs> it's, it's when mutton explodes. 
<laughs> Mutton shrapnel. <laughs> yeah, 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 sheep bombs. Um, two quick comments for Michael, who I hope you're listening, Michael. Uh, you mentioned on a recent profiles episode that you visited Montreal, where I lived, where I live at the moment. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was impressed that you made it to the Holocaust Museum, which is well off the tourist trail. But I and everyone else in Montreal took umbrage at your claim that hockey has no strategy. At the most basic level, the players rotate off the ice every minute or two, so coaches are making decisions equivalent to switching relief pitchers about 30 times a game. All the best. (laughs) Tristan Sharp. Yeah, I'm glad that happened on a Profiles episode, so I can just say, well, you know, that's just Farmer. Nice. I I don't have to claim any uh, direct complicity in Michael's uh, dismissal of hockey. Uh, I'll admit, though, I I grew up playing a lot of hockey video games because it's a game that translates well onto the console. Uh, But since Indianapolis didn't have a hockey team, I never really... I mean, they had a minor league team, the Indianapolis Ice, but, you know, when I went to a game, I enjoyed it, but I never really followed hockey. Hmm. All right, we got another e- email from uh, Matthew Limber. Uh, Dear, dearest Doctors Humanist, thank you for your excellent work. One technical comment, your podcasts on the network tend to be significantly quieter than my other podcasts. Even with everything cranked up on my end, I was really looking forward to Christian Humanist Profiles 85, but it was just, quote, too dang low, close quote, as Dr. Gilmore might say. Do I say that, David? <laughs> Possibly. Anyway... Too dang low for me to hear unless I secreted myself away in my prayer closet, which, no offense, I try to reserve for someone else. Any way to boost the volume on your end? Uh, you know, I mean, we can we can talk to our editors, tell them to crank it up. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember, I, and this is a mostly unrelated story, David, but we don't have a whole lot of feedback this time, so I can tell those. I There was a spell there where homebrewed Christianity was the same way, where I had to you know, turn my car stereo so high that the hum from the speakers was actually sometimes louder than the voices. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we'll certainly try to look at that. Anyway, he continues, uh, episode request, more on Christian existentialism. I'm intrigued every time Dr. Farmer drops an aphorism like life is guilt or gives snippets (laughs) of his worldview. Yours authentically, Matthew Limber. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I, and David, I can't even remember how long ago it was that you said this, but when someone requested a, uh, an episode on the Roman Republic, you said, you know, that's, that's kind of a well that we dip into about every other episode anyway, so, that, <laughs> um, that, that said, I mean, uh, we did, we did do a blog series this summer, Matthew, if you want to go to ChristianHumanist.org, uh, on principles of Christian theology, which is one of the big texts of Christian existentialism. Um, you know, predictably, Michael was a lot more sympathetic to it than I was, uh, as he and I <laughs> traded off blog posts. I mean, I, I tended to rant more, so, you know, you can look into that. Um, I'm trying to think, David, I mean, have we done any other specifically existentialist episodes that you remember? Uh, we've, we've talked about doing a Kierkegaard episode. The issue has just been narrowing it down to something that can actually be done in the course of an episode. Right, right. Either or is a bit meaty for an episode of a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, though, uh, though Michael has done uh, does has done interviews uh, on on uh, existentialist writers, like a, a recent interview for Profiles uh, uh, about Kierkegaard. 
Yeah, before uh, that he did one with uh, the curator of the Kierkegaard Library. Yeah, he does a fair bit of Kierkegaard stuff, so yeah. go, go, go listen to Profiles. But that's something we might do. Uh, David, I, I can't remember. I mean, this is this is going to be where we confess our sins to our listeners. I know I've always <laughs> thought about uh, starting up sort of a spreadsheet or a database of episode requests. Have we ever actually followed through on that? I don't think we have. Every time... Uh... Frankly, every, every every time that I go to look for a new to- topic, uh, I dip back into the uh, the show notes for previous listener feedback episodes. Oh, okay, okay, that makes some good those sense. Those usually those usually end up being the places where those uh, where those suggestions. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Are stored. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think of the uh, you know topic request database as you know being in the same uh, file in my existence as the uh, Christian Humanist Discussion Board. It's something that probably should happen, but I just get busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, the, the robots who want to advertise things uh, on, on the, the late lamented Christian Humanist forums aren't also going to be sending us episode requests. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, at any rate, uh, our next episode actually uh, came with, or our next email, pardon me, actually came with a dare uh, to mispronounce the name, so I'm going to go ahead and do so and say, uh, David, why don't you read the uh, email from Minro? <laughs> um, Minro is apparently the way one is supposed to say it, because the I goes E instead of E. Uh, Dear Christian Humanists, I enjoyed your recent episode on the lecture. I want to share some of my experience with the reverse classroom model in teaching mathematics, the butt of STEM, um, I, I think that's a reference to the fact that it's the M in the acronym, not whatever. Since there seemed to be some confusion, uh, I, I can't speak about STEM more broadly, but versions of this model of teaching have their inspiration from the so-called Moore method, developed by noted racist mathematician R.L. Moore. Uh, we had a lot of back and forth, actually, about that sentence, about whether or not the fact that he was a noted racist was supposed to like be letting us know what to think about this teaching style. Anyway, the basic premise was that students were given a list of definitions and theorems and would present proofs of the theorems throughout the class without consulting any outside material. In this case, the claim was that math is best learned by finding one's own path through the material and learning through doing. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, the prohibition on outside material is lifted, and the point seems to be that what one wants out of a math class is to learn how to do the computations involved and how to do so-called applications, more often referred to as word problems. This is best learned by doing a lot of problems with the correction by a teacher when the problem-solving process goes awry. The analogy often used is that math is like bicycle riding. Um, One wouldn't teach bicycle riding by lecturing and then have the student practice on their own, (laughs) but use a more hands-on experience. And as one who has learned how to ride a bicycle successfully, I can testify to that. (laughs) Whether the goals of doing these specific problems is appropriate is a separate issue, but this method is more amenable to learning than the standard lecture. I hope this has clarified the issue. And then she uh, offers us the challenge of pronouncing uh, her entire name, which uh, Nomin Zhang, something like that. 
No, you can, you can, you can go ahead, David. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my best. That's I've, my best. I, I, I guess I've got such a history of mispronouncing listener names <laughs> that I, I, I just took her invitation to, uh, you know, pronounce Conti- it. Continue to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's a, you know, a, you you have a license to continue in your ignorance. I said, okay. <laughs> well, I, I th- that's 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 my best effort. No mean Sean. There you go. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, actually, the methodology for teaching math that, you know, is narrated in this email uh, is precisely what gets narrated in the book, uh, Building a Better Teacher, uh, which is one that I read and and actually did a sort of crossover profiles on the uh, Craft Lit podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, on the uh, college level, R.L. Moore seems to be doing similar things to what Japanese schools are doing on the elementary level. So, hmm. uh, and honestly, I mean, you know, the the narration of how that works, and then you know, sort of the results that the book chronicles, where you know the students with average IQ store scores uh, in Japan are are performing on the same level as, and sometimes outperforming the gifted students in America. Kind of lent, you know in my mind, lent a lot of credibility to that method. Hmm. Now, is R.L. Moore any relation to R.L. Stein? Yeah, because a lot of times the first two initials, but not the last time, will be uh, hereditary. (laughs) Right. Right, right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, at any rate, David, I'm going to uh, reverse the order of the rest of the readings because I just realized that I put myself twice and, yeah. That's we'll, all right. We'll just do it that way. And I will read our first, uh, and actually the only one that we pulled off of Facebook, from uh, Paul Schleifer, whose name I also have a history of mispronouncing. So, Paul, if I just like mispronounced it again, trying not to mispronounce it, just realize that, uh, you know, as the previous email indicated, I'm also not very good at algebra. Too many negatives. Um, but Paul writes this. Just listen to your Rocky podcast, a couple of things. One, there are some real parallels between the Creed-Balboa fight and the first Ali-Frazier fight. Frazier, though undefeated in the world champ at the time of his fight in 1971, was from Philly and was considered a kind of working class or even lower class fighter. But he could really take a punch, as Ali found out. Ali had predicted a sixth round knockout, but that didn't happen. And like Rocky, Frazier's best punch was his left hook. While Frazier won the fight on points... And while he left Ali with a swollen jaw after a tremendous left in the 14th, Frazier also hmm. spent a month in the hospital after the fight. Okay. Number two, there is a way in which the movie about Rocky paralleled Stallone's own experience. He did some films before Rocky, but he was really something of a nobody. Rocky propelled him to fame. Okay. And he says, enjoyed the show, new insights, makes me want to make my kids watch it. And then he follows up in a, a subsequent post. Oh, and about the fighting, of course the fighting is enhanced, made more dramatic, but if, you've ever, but if you ever have an hour or so of time to kill, go to YouTube and watch Ali Frazier 1, or maybe Foreman Ali 1. These guys just brutalized each other round after round. In the Foreman Ali fight, pick it up around the 51st minute of the video and watch the last minute or so of round 8. The men look as if they are dead on their feet. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I probably did overgeneralized in that episode there are certainly fights like that uh you know ollie frazier i mean it's just absolutely legendary for that sort of thing as well as the first george foreman fight 
Um, another one that comes to mind is actually the first, not the second, I need to be clear on that, uh, Tyson-Holyfield fight, where, I mean, they really just did slug the crap out of each other, and, you know, eventually Mike Tyson went down. And, mm-hmm. you know, historically, that is why, you know, everyone uh, was so angry about uh, Tyson, for- uh, not Tyson Foreman, but uh, Tyson-Holyfield too. Uh, because, you know, everyone heard that, you know, Tyson Holyfield was arguably, you know, the best heavyweight boxing match in a decade, and it was, uh, but then in Tyson Holyfield 2, everyone paid for the pay-per-view, and then Mike Tyson bit him in the, what, second round, and it was mm-hmm. over. Yep. <laughs> so, I, I guess that's, you know, what, whenever you, uh, watch a boxing match, you're probably either in a casino or you're gambling with your pay-per-view money, I guess is the moral of that story. <laughs> right, right. It, 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 it's, it's, not like a, it's not like a baseball game where, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get at least nine. Right, right. Or, I mean, for that matter, I mean, to go back to a, a parallel that I drew in that episode, it's not like a professional wrestling event where you know they have scripted it so that it is going to be entertaining. I mean, there's just no telling... Right. You know, whether it's going to be a, a nine-round battle like Tyson Holyfield 1 was, or whether it's going to be a two-round forfeit like mm-hmm. Tyson Holyfield 2 was. Now, I will say that, I mean, you know, still the most memorable fight that I ever watched as it was happening was uh, uh, when Mike Tyson first won the title. Uh, he, uh, David, have I ever talked about this fight, or have you ever looked at this fight? No. Okay, he uh, literally knocked down his opponent with a you know with a hard hard right hand I believe it was, uh, and the guy got up, lost his knees, fell down a second time, tried to pull himself up on the ropes, fell a third time, technical knockout. Mike Tyson's the world heavyweight champion. One punch, mm-hmm. three knockdowns. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. I, th- I think that's what I had in mind, uh, you know, when I was thinking about that. And, of course, I, I I, should have looked this up, and I was thinking about looking it up when I was driving into work, but I can't even remember the name of his opponent in that fight. But, listeners, you've got Wikipedia. You can look up Mike Tyson and, you know, realize <laughs> that, I mean, I, I, too, like most people in America, think of him, first of all, as a rapist now. Uh, but that that fight really was memorable enough that, I mean, it is the boxing match I remember best from my childhood. Yeah, I I didn't watch um, I didn't watch boxing when I was a kid. Again, mm-hmm. no surprise there. But um, you know, in the same ways that I lived in a in a world that Rocky created, I also lived in a world in which you know Mike Tyson loomed large. Oh sure. And, you know, and we were supposed to be punch punching out things on our on our <laughs> Nintendo. Yes, indeed. Yeah, pretty awesome. And I and I like the uh, I like the Stallone um, kind of turning that into also some you know some kind of autobiography reflecting on Stallone's own career. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he really did kind of get uh, get a chance that uh, he you know he he otherwise couldn't have expected. I mean, and we, and we talked about that in the episode that the the uh, the executive that Green greenlit the project thought that it was someone else <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and and david i just looked it up while you were talking it was michael spinks and i'd actually forgotten this detail but it was actually in the first round 90 seconds in 
he hit him with a hard right, knocked mm. him down three times with one punch. <laughs> oh, wow. And, I mean, the, the, this is why, I mean, you know, before he became, you know, a girlfriend abuser and rapist and every other awful thing that Mike Tyson is, I mean, he really was a legend there in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, we are going to wrap up with a blog comment on our uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins episode. This is from from Peter G., who uh, pretty uh, pretty consistent commenter on our blog. We appreciate mm-hmm. you, Peter. And this is in the form of a sonnet. Oft, oft times wonder I why the world and we need employ instructors tertiary English of. As if unwitted be we when we read the word. Absurd in my fancy then the edifice ivy cover be, and contented ought ourselves among alone departments of more useful arts and sciences become. True terrible the sophistry, the casuistry of criticism phantoms to my sense, and into engineering steer my students' eye. Unfogged mighty, though, are my musings thus upon, by means of sunlight auditory, as the episode I hear of the sky-clear Hopkins beaming meaning fully through the moot of Gilmore grubs and farmer in my ear. No more wonder of the worth, then, do I harbor of professors such, and their stipends greater than my barbers be, do I hope by much. (laughs) That is phenomenal. (laughs) Well, and and I like to the, the 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 studied attempt at um at at Hopkins esque uh, betangliness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, I I saw this comment and I said, okay, we got to pull this into the show because this is wonderful. <laughs> yes. Unfogged, mighty. Uh huh. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, well, anyway, David, I mean, this might be uh, our... Rec- well, no, I take it back. I mean, there have been times where two of us haven't been able to record, so I've recorded like a minute and a half, you know, sorry, we don't have an episode <laughs> this week file, which, you know, in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have done because it sort of, you know, sullies the uh, record book for shortest episode. Uh, but what what's done is done, and I mean, among the things done are the goofy decimal number system that I proposed all the way back in 2009, and have been regretting for seven years since. Yeah. Because <laughs> when people ask, how many episodes have you done? Uh, uh, well, uh, almost 200 plus the decimal episodes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's funny, though. I, I You know, this is one of those things that uh, I, I really don't know what to think about it, so I'll just throw it out at you, David, and you can tell me how I should think. You know, you can, you can be uh, Polonius to my Ophelia here. Um, but, uh, when I'm, you know, listening to you and Michael record, uh, Christian humanist profiles, it does amuse me at the end, uh, cause sometimes it's more elevated than others, but it's almost always some variation of, you know, as we do on Christian humanist profiles, we're going to, in the spirit of hospitality, let you have the last word. And I'm thinking, as we do, I made that up. What, you know what? Well, now it's a thing. Man. I know, I know. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess if Michael were here, you know, after uh, insulting me somehow, he would, uh, he would say, you know, this is the uh, responsibility of being part of a tradition is that the stuff that you do might become part of the uh, liturgy, if you will. 
Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and and at what point does the thing that you winged on the fly end up becoming, you know, the 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 new genre? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! Excellent. I I do feel though um, uh-huh. at the end of this particular episode as if I I, I need to extend some greetings. Um, and since our last uh, recording, I uh, I actually made a new friend from a distance one of our uh, one of our listeners um, is the actually the the son of uh, uh, some folks who go to my church and he's 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 off at college now but he's uh, apparently been listening to us for a while now uh, his name's Daniel Goodman so oh good hi, good hi Daniel and and enjoy all of the reading that apparently we got you into <laughs> very good very good well folks this has been a uh, short episode of the christian humanist podcast and there ain't nothing wrong with that uh <laughs> i want to go ahead and extend thanks to david grubbs for jumping on with me and responding to our listeners and thanking you listeners uh for tuning in and uh hearing from some of your fellow listeners uh david are we still doing museums next time we do what we do that's the rumor that is the rumor. All right. Well, folks, the uh, Christian Humanist Podcast is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our intern, uh, who, despite this short episode, has got some work in front of her, is Amberly Copeland. Uh, <laughs> if you want to find us on the web, uh, you can find us at christianhumanist.org. You can email us at thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. Uh, you can, of course, find us on iTunes, which is the preeminent, or at the very least, the most numerous distributor of podcast material. Leave us a rating there. It will help other listeners find the stuff that you are enjoying. Uh, and until next time, when we actually do go into the museum, uh, this is Nathan Gilmore in behalf of David Grubbs saying, let your sins be strong, let your faith be stronger.